a Shishkin Productions podcast. Welcome to the 12th transmission of the All Ships podcast. I'm your host, Dave Krugman, and today I'm speaking to a new friend of mine, Nathan Beer. Nathan is the head of content at Super Rare and works hard to contextualize the NFT movement through his incredible storytelling abilities, getting perspectives from the artists blazing the trail and the wider community making this exciting new world possible. We connected over Twitter a while back, and last week we were lucky enough to meet in Paris at ETHCC. We really hit it off, as you can tell from this hour-long chat, where we dig into so many different ideas and concepts, including NFTs and photography, collecting in our environment of evolution, how the most interesting things happen at the fringes of culture, and so much more. Let's dive in. Year, I'm Braxton. I'm Tia. I'm Lauren. I'm Chris. And we're bringing you the Group Text Podcast. We are four black cousins texting all day, every day about everything going on from the streets to the tweets. And, you know, we're bringing the group text to the podcast world. Yep. Talking about why America is trash, but also why you should have hope. We're recapping everything pop culture, current events, and what's viral this week. And even hitting you with some life advice, like when you should knock if they buck. Yep, and we'll be keeping score, seeing if city boys or city girls are up. City girls are always up. City girls make them wish like Ray J. <laughs> the Group Text Podcast, brought to you by the Shishkin Productions Network. Join our group text every Friday, wherever you listen to podcasts. I think we're good. I think we're good. I think we did it. Good. Good job. Um, Welcome, everybody. Today, I'm here with a new friend, with an old soul, Nathan Beer. Well said. Thank you so much for the introduction. I often, that was my nickname in high school, so it's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, Nathan is the head of content at Super Rare, one of the premier NFT platforms. And I was lucky enough to meet him uh, in Paris this past week when we went to ETHCC. I was in Spain and the south of France with my friend Ali Channon, who does the theme music for this very podcast. Uh, so shout out to Ali. And Big shout out, Ali. Nathan and I have been kind of online friends for a couple months now through the NFT space. And it's been so great to connect with you, my friend. Dude, likewise. It's been an absolute pleasure. I think part of the whole reason why one of the reasons why we do what we do online is so that we can connect with people. And I think, you know, this new friendship is a testament to the possibilities of meeting people, meeting strangers, if you will. Yeah. It's funny if you think back to our childhood, like we're always warned, never meet strangers, never talk to strangers and now will enrich your life. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) And now we get in cars with strangers every day, every single day. We pay for it. Yeah. Pay for the privilege. Uh-huh. Um, but anyway, I want to, you know, we had some very interesting conversations the other day uh, surrounding um, Web3, blockchain technologies, um, implications for artists, and uh, kind of, frankly, the evolution of not only uh, digital spaces, but like human and digital overlap and how digital spaces affect human evolution. We got really deep. And so I'm, I'm thrilled to have you here today to get back into that stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, man. Yeah. So why don't you, why don't we start with um, 
tell us a little bit of how you got involved with uh, NFTs and and like kind of the path to your current position at Super Rare. Yeah, I'll keep it brief. But I've done a, a lot of things in my life, a lot of different things, a lot of different industries. I've basically just been in this forever pursuit to build whatever's fringe, whatever's next, whatever's you know isn't fully developed because I find excitement in that. And in the beginning, it was neuroscience. Then it was um, pharmacy and then it was music and then it was video. So I've done so many different things, but in 2017, I found crypto through RAC shout out Andre and he put his album ego on Ethereum. And I was like, what is Ethereum? And so I just full deep dive into all of that as much as I could possibly absorb. I took it in and eventually in 2018, I took a job at consensus and that was as like a content marketer. But at the time in 2018, like there wasn't really much to market because everything was B2B. There was a lot of, you know, um, software still being built, backend stuff being built. Um, there wasn't much user friendly interfaces for the average consumer. So it was very tough. And then obviously in 2018, everything tanked. And I was like, well, I want to stay in this, but I just don't feel like it's the right time. And so in 2020, a couple years later, I, um, I had never like gave up crypto. I did like the DeFi thing. I did the NFT stuff. I kind of kept my ear to the ground as much as possible. And then in September, I minted my first piece on a website called cargo, a photo piece. And I was like, you know what? Let's just send it. Can I curse on this? Yeah. I was like, fuck it. Full send. Let's just go. And I just put it up. It was like a dollar. I was like, whatever. And I applied to super rare also at the same time for all my photo work. I've been a photographer for, you know, over pretty much almost two decades at this point. And I have thousands of photos. I was like, I should probably put them up. And so I didn't hear back from super rare, but in January of 2021, I was like, I need to just get another job in crypto, man. Like, People are building amazing things. They never stopped. I feel like I kind of took a break, like in the whole, this is my job type of vibe. But so I was like, I love this. Everything that I've done from 2018 to now has been trying to bring crypto to whatever I was doing. And so I was like, why don't I just work in crypto again? So I realized that I wanted to, I wanted two things. I wanted to make cool videos. I want to make cool content and I want to do it for a really cool company. And it was super rare. It was at the top of the list. And so I hit up a friend, James Moreau, who I used to work with at Consensus. I was like, hey, man, I'm looking for a job in crypto. Like, this is what I want to do. This is honestly where I want to be. It was a pipe dream at the time. I was like, this is like the top premier platform. Like, there's to get a job, that would be nuts. I'm not even on there as an artist. And he was like, oh, well, you know, I'll hit him up. I'll send them your resume, see what I can see, what I can suss out. And then three interviews later, in those interviews, I was literally like the way that I talked to the average person, I was like talking to them. It was not a formal interview. I was like, this is the way crypto is. This is the way it should be. This is art. This is a revolution. And they were like sick. And I got the job. And that was in March of 2021 this past year. Wow. What a month, March of <laughs> crazy. 20. That was like the end of a kind of like not the end of obviously we're still in a pandemic, but um, that was uh kind of when there's like a bit of light at the end of the tunnel in terms of like being able to hang out with people again after like a really rough winter. Yeah. Um, do you think that the uh, pandemic and the situation of lockdown kind of accelerated adoption of NFTs or how do you feel about that? Yeah, I, I think I think ultimately all of this was inevitable. I think 
if we look at terms of inevitability, it was inevitable from, you know, the advent of Bitcoin that things were going to become more decentralized. Finance was going to become um, more for the people, by the people. And when Ethereum started, it was programmability and creators could create on it. You could, there was, you know, a whole programming layer to it. So it was inevitable that all of this was going to happen. I think because everybody was forced to stay inside and reevaluate their lives and reevaluate their jobs and their careers. And a lot of photographers, a lot of videographers lost jobs, lost gigs, lost work. I, I feel like a lot of people didn't really have a choice. Mm. Like they had to find another avenue and through word of mouth, more and more creatives were hearing about NFTs and that this was uh, their friends had found success. And so, yeah, I think because everybody was on this, like, downtrodden way of life just because of the global situation of covid that yeah i definitely think it accelerated it while it was inevitable it sped it along yeah and it also forced us into um understanding like uh how deeply digital our lives are yes because like you know we can be on our phones and then we go out and we forget that most of our social interactions are happening online but when you take away the in real life part and everything's happening online. Like every single meeting you had that year or we had that year was a Zoom call or something. It yes. was in a digital space. Yep. So that lends a lot more credence to this idea that, you know, digital ownership matters, digital spaces matter, digital social signaling matters. Um, and that's really interesting to me. And one of the things I always think about too is like, you know, I have this piece of art on my wall by X Sulo, right? Mm-hmm. And Beautiful. You know, in a given year, maybe I'll have, you know, 50 people will see it if they come through my apartment. Right. But if I post it on my Instagram stories, like, you know, tens of thousands of people might see it. And so it's like, where where am I doing the signaling about who I care about, what I care about and what I own? And to me, like, that's the light bulb that went off in my head when we were forced into lockdown. I'm like, oh, my gosh, we're moving towards this future faster than I ever thought. And then think about the next generation coming up. Like they want Fortnite skins. They want money for, for digital games. They don't want Legos. They don't want blocks. They don't want train sets. Like we're increasingly sliding into this digital space. And that's why I don't think it's going anywhere. And I'm very excited about the future. Yeah, I definitely don't think it's going anywhere. And I, You know, those types of like Legos and train sets and puzzles and, and all these things were very lonely activities i'm not lonely in the sense that it was like it has a negative connotation lonely it was like you build a lego on your own yeah it's not a community activity it's not a community activity exactly i love legos i still buy and build them like i'm Do you? i love them but it's it's so fundamentally different because now you're building with a community like mm-hmm. fortnite with decentraland with you're you're surrounded by people on this in this digital I mean, I, we use this word so often metaverse, but like, I feel like we're still kind of shaping what that means. Um, yeah, it's, it's a completely different ballpark. Like we're playing a completely different game that looks very similar to what we had been playing in a completely different ballpark on completely different terms with totally different rules. Yeah. And community compounds things because every, like every single person is a different variable. So like whatever equations you're building in a community are infinitely more complex uh, in their interactions than like the solitary thoughts you might have on your own. And again, you know, there's always a balance between like, I definitely need time for myself, but like my, the biggest ideas are done in groups and you know, it takes a village. One might say all ships rise with the tide. One, one might, one might. I think I've heard that before. 
Um, I can't it's, remember it's quite profound, actually. <laughs> I, I personally think it's quite profound. Not that, that my, my opinion matters much, but you know. Um, <laughs> what do you like about Super Rare? Oh, dude. If I, if, how much time do you have? Uh, we have like 50 <laughs> minutes left. So. Cool. I might need 60. Um, no, but seriously, I, I've like throughout all the different things I've been doing, I, each one I thought this is it. Like, this is what I'm going to be doing for my rest of my life. Like, I'm so stoked that I new job, like, oh man, I can't believe I'm be able to do this. And then a few months go by and I'm like, oh, this is like. This is cool still kind of. And then another couple of months go by. I'm like, yeah, I need to find something else. But I've realized that was super rare. Not only is the entire team amazing without with no exception, what we're doing and what we're building and who we're building it for and with is like on a level I've never seen before. It's community by community. It's art for art's sake. It's every single conversation I have with like Zach or David or John or Jonathan or Charles or Lauren, anybody it's all, I always take something beneficial away from it. I'm like learning in this, in this job more than I have in any other job that I've ever had. I don't even look at it as a job. I look at it as an insanely fortunate opportunity that I get to be a part of this. Yeah. There's something really exciting about being, um, in something that's so new that almost every action you take helps build that idea in that space. Yeah. And I felt that way early in social media and I'm feeling it again, but like times a hundred right now, because I feel like this technology is infinitely more impactful than social media just because, I mean, look, technology is on an exponential scale. So we're 10 years past like the, the mass adoption of, of social media. Yeah. Uh, and so in 10 years, you know, that's 10 to the whatever power deeper in these technological paradigm shifts. Um, and so I'm, I'm really excited to be again, to feel that like fresh energy. And I feel like whenever there is one of those shifts and, and the landscape is fragmented, um, your communities get remixed, uh, new potential opens up at all those strange overlaps of new friendships and it's just an exciting time to be alive and i would encourage all my listeners to like start paying attention if you're not uh please look up from your phone for a second so you can <laughs> we can tell you where to look on your phone yeah <laughs> <laughs> exactly um because it's not going anywhere i think this is a i think this is a really big movement and we're seeing mass adoption uh like day over day just like more and more people pouring into the space i'm really excited um we were having some really interesting conversations the other day. Um, one of the things we were talking about is the kind of like artists tend to reject like corporate structures. And I really want to get into this again with you because we were touching on it, but like there's so much fertile ground to talk about. Um, one of the things we were talking about is how, um, I think you asked me the question for a super rare interview coming out soon um tbd tbd when um but i think you asked me what was the question it was like man we were riffing so hard i don't even remember the specific question but it's about like what would you be doing if it wasn't this or would you like it's something about having a nine to five it was it was definitely something along the lines of like 
how is this different from ev- from anything you had done before? Right, exactly. So I we kind of settled on this idea that like I no no you know what the question was? What? And apologies to the listeners for this this meaningless banter. There are but, no edits here, folks. Yeah. You're in it for the long haul. Um, it was what do you say to people when like you're trying to explain what you do with NFTs and yes. like do you what are your answers for them when they say that you're like wasting your time or being ridiculous mm-hmm. with this stuff? Mm-hmm. And it made me think, I'm like, well, I would flip that question on them and be like, what are you doing with your time? <laughs> and the kind of idea here is like, it's not necessarily a more natural thing to be like, a, have a nine to five job and work inside of a giant corporation and sit at a cubicle under fluorescent lighting and spend every day in the same place with the same people. Like, the environment we evolved in was much more dynamic and community based. And then that got me thinking like, you know, what is even more community based, which is, than anything is like this world of web three. Yeah. And then it got me thinking like, wow, maybe the reason that we're all so excited about this space is because we're actually getting closer to the way we evolved, which is in these little digital villages or, you know, the way we evolved is in like these nomadic hunter gatherer tribes. And I feel like we're progressing, not regressing. I feel like we're progressing into a reimagining of like those digital, like those niche communities that work in these kind of like tribal systems of, you know, gathering resources and, you know, sharing value and bartering and exchanging and, and kind of thriving off of our creative solutions to novel problems. You had brought up a good point during that, during that conversation about, you know, Henry Ford and the Ford assembly line basically turned humans into robots or attempted to. Yes. And like this idea that you, you take the human out of their natural habitat and give them a job that's systematic and mechanic, mechanical. Um, And then we kind of like realize that this is an efficient way to do things. Right. It's efficient. It gets jobs done quicker, but at the same time, like, to, at what cost? Right, right. So what we have now is this non-rigid, open schedule. Create when you want to create. Build all the time. I mean, dude, I've like I I've had nine to fives that have felt like hours longer than the work that I put in, and I work like. 12 14 16 18 hours hour days just because i love what i do and it's on my own time i take the breaks that i want to when i feel like i need them and it's different when you when you take the human out of this assembly line and out of this cubicle and out from underneath the fluorescent light and you give them a natural habitat like look at this you got plants everywhere in this place dear dear listeners there are plants surrounding us it's basically jumanji in here and it's beautiful (laughs) like this is the habitat where the best version of yourself can come to light. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, to kind of, you know, I, I, I think that like my, the way I want to move through the world is with like a, a passionate curiosity. And that's, that's almost like dangerous in a nine to five situation. Um, if you're in a creative industry like advertising, you you get a little bit of it. Like you get to be creative and ex- exploratory, but like and even then, it's creativity on a deadline. Yeah, and but it's on a deadline, and it's also like you're you're hemmed in on every side yes. by 
the legal legal implications and liability and and the you know things at scale also tend to move so much slower like bureaucracies like when i was in college it was kind of like when wikipedia was coming out and I remember our professors like wouldn't let us use the internet to study. <laughs> Wikipedia isn't our primary source. Yeah. No, but all the sources that they use to write the articles are. I'm just gonna well, also those. like, you know, we were learning from textbooks that were like 10 years out of date. Yes. And we were kind of had to move at the speed of a bureaucracy mm-hmm. in the age of the internet. And I remember thinking like, yep. this just isn't sustainable. And I, I truly wonder even now, like what will happen to those models of education, those centralized models of education in like a YouTube world where, you know, you can you can watch some of the best lectures that have ever been given for free online. Like, so why would you pay $50,000 a year for a piece of paper from a university? I mean, I'm not saying that there's no advantage to going to school. To college because it's a it, societal norm that yeah. is still and it's a great networking tool and yeah. you know you can get access to experts and things and stuff like that but would i go two hundred thousand dollars into debt to get an undergraduate degree i don't think so also the way that school and university and college used to be like decades ago a century ago was much more wholesome and it was, it was much more intent driven and it was, you know, to get into a university, you were, you know, one of the brightest people of the applicants. So you could further pursue your education and become a scientist, become a doctor, become a lawyer, change those industries. And now normalized centralized education and traditional education channels are very much just like a thing you got to get out of the way. Yeah, it depends. I mean, if you're going to be like an engineer or a doctor and there's like some rigid like you know um structure of learning that you really need to have then i think it makes a lot of sense but if you're gonna be an artist or like a um entrepreneur or something like that like i think that you should supplement you should like go out and do things and supplement it with like other educational absolute um resources but back to this idea of blockchains as like an organic system i'm really interested in this Another thing I like to compare it to is like mycelial networks, like in fungus and mushrooms. Yes. Um, there's this great documentary uh, by Paul Stamets called Fantastic Fungi. Love that one. Uh, directed by Louis Schwartzberg, another incredible time-lapse photographer and motion artist who we should definitely get into NFTs, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so the, dude, those visuals in, yeah. in that documentary were just like on another level. So uh listeners please go check that out I, I i've watched it five times it's so brilliant but one of the takeaways from that is that um a mushroom is just the fruiting body of like a much larger network and that network is called mycelium and mycelium literally permeates like all of soil on the entire planet um and and fungus uh which is neither a plant nor an animal it's its own kingdom actually precedes plant life and animal life by I think billions of years. A very long time. I, I, yeah, don't quote me on that, but look it up for sure. Billion sounds right. Yeah. I'll quote you. So it's really like a precursor to the life that we enjoy. And like, we would not be here without it. Um, and our bodies are full of it. And we have symbi- symbiosis relationship, symbiotic relationships with uh, different uh, funguses that we depend on to survive. Um, but the, the one of the main takeaways from that is this idea that mycelial networks are really like a nutrient exchange 
network for forests and other plant life and stuff like that. So trees rely on the mycelium to, you know, help them absorb the nutrients they need to live um, from the soil. And in exchange, the trees provide those mycelium and fungal networks with sugars from their process of photosynthesis. So this to me, if you know anything about like um, Uniswap or blockchains and all this like interesting stuff about like gas fees and and like, um, you know, transaction fees on, on different networks, like I see a very clear metaphor. I'm wondering what you think about that. The validators and the the block verifiers are the mycelium and all the users are the, are the trees. <clears throat> and obviously the gas fees are the sugars that the trees provide and the confirmations are the nutrients that the mycelium provide. That's what I see with the metaphor. Mm-hmm. 100%. It's Absolutely symbiotic. So, you know, I'm also a firm believer in like the almost this idea that the entire planet is like a global organism and that we are just a part of. Um, and so as our technology starts to mimic these organic systems, like, are we strengthening and actually developing that collective consciousness in the same way that like a neural network, once it gets complex enough, um, has emergent consciousness, like the way that we can even have this conversation right now. Dude, I mean, <laughs> I, I feel like every every cultural revolution has had some level of um, unity and symbiosis, whether it was cultural and musical in the 60s, um, art now, like we're all getting closer and closer and closer to what it means to work together as humans. Mm. And every generation has like faces adversity, of course, you have wars, you have famines you have pandemics if you will um (laughs) what do you mean (laughs) i'm it's like a virus oh okay okay um so i feel like as we get closer and as each thing happens and as generations get closer and learn from each other and learn from the mistakes and the successes of our past we can we use that as fuel to to do better the next time and i feel like we have right now obviously things will change in the next generation it'll be even better but looking back on everything like when i was a kid i wanted so badly i was born in 1990 i wanted so badly to be a part of the 60s and the grateful dead culture and the hate ashbury vibe and touring musicians and just art and and you know one love you know one unity energy and i realized that as i got older i'm just never gonna i can't create a time machine i can't go back to it but when I found crypto and I dived into it and I've, as the years have gone by, I realized that that's kind of what we have now. It's like our version of it. And we're doing it even better because we have the technology to get closer. We have the unify the, the unifiers, whether it's global warming, whether it's um, a pandemic that we're all realizing that we're on this single rock together. Hmm. And there's no way that we're going to be able to survive if we don't change things. And I feel like obviously blockchain isn't going to solve the world's problems. Like that's incredibly, incredibly narcissistic and, and just inaccurate to say, but I feel like it is going to alleviate and replace a lot of the systems that are toxic 
that take more than they give that don't exactly do the job that they set out to do middlemen um music royalties uh photo sharing video sharing um traditional galleries that you know with royalties and stuff like that not to shit on any anybody i think just generally speaking and now all of the all of that and these systems that we're replacing now are the next iteration of improvement of how we interact with each other and this organic evolution that we're all experiencing of life this evolution of life is in such a beautiful part right now Mm. and we're in the middle of living it dude yeah like like every single day i wake up and i and i realize and i think proactively how lucky we are that not only are we in this like full in like you and me and probably a few of the people who are listening are in it full in but the people who aren't and still provide the other systems of of living on this earth that we need they don't need to be as deep into it mm-hmm. because they're going to be able to experience what we're building in a number in a few years and just improve their life mm-hmm. in one way or another whether it's banking whether it's how they consume media whether it's um how they learn like with through education so all of this organic this organic growth that we're experiencing is we're seeing it in real time it's nuts yeah what a time to be alive what a time to be alive dude it's and pretty thriving pretty pretty exciting um let's shift a bit i feel like we did a good little blockchain that was a great is bit. nature yeah uh little riff there because i really am fascinated i'm going to keep thinking thinking through those ideas um but i would love to shift a bit about your art because you are oh, a man. photographer um and you're you're pretty dedicated to film film photography mm-hmm. um i also i also shoot film i love it i'm mostly a digital photographer just because you know so much like client work and things that i just like need to like have film it. is not sustainable yeah it's just not like I can't get that many shots out of it affordably, but what is it about film specifically that, uh, that is so attractive to you as a medium? I kind of started out as a kid shooting on my father's and grandfather's digital cameras. Cause I, I was very young when my grandfather had his Nikon F4 and my dad had his Canon A one. And then as digital started coming out, my grandfather and father really embraced it. So I, I realized that, as I looked at the photos that were on film and I looked at the photos that were on digital, there was a tremendous disconnect between the two visual energies that you got from them. With film, it was everything baked in, all inclusive. You you pay for, like you, you put your film in your camera, you take your photo, you develop it, you print it, and that's your photo. With digital, it was like, you have to edit it. You have to either sit with this raw file that has every color and somehow it looks flat as fuck. Like, so I never really wanted to go down the route of taking a bunch of photos and then sitting down later to edit them. Because if I learned the film and I learned the way that things used to be and that we didn't have digital back then, um, then I would ever, wouldn't ever need to edit anything. Right. So my grandfather had a dark room when I was growing up and I spent some time in there with him and the whole process was, was tremendous. 
just such a, a tremendous like experience to have with a you know a family member of yours. So film now to me is nostalgia. It's it's one and done. It's beauty that you don't have to really work it, work extra hard for. And it's above all else, it's a collaboration between you and your tool. Like if I'm going to get the, if I miss the photo, I miss the photo. But if I get the photo, I look at it as a, a, a three, a three person group project where it's me, the film and the camera. And if I can master that together, then like, I don't know, it's just kind of, I don't know. It's so fulfilling. Yeah. There's something really special, especially about film. There's this like alchemical magic to film. Yep. And, you know, I, I share the kind of family lineage that you have where like my grandfather and my father were, um, you know, hobbyist photographers, but very yep. passionate, uh, collecting incredible equipment and bringing me into the fold and saying, Oh, like, look at this, you know? And, um, I remember this moment when I was at summer camp, actually being in a dark room and it was like the red light. And then, you know, I, I had shot a roll on a Nikon F1 yeah. black and white film. And I remember exposing the paper and, you know, nothing really happens. You kind of, it's a blank piece of paper still. And then there's this moment where you slide it into the developer and it's the closest thing I've experienced to magic. It's literally. And that magic. moment has stuck with me throughout my entire career. It's like my guiding light of like chasing that first high, so to speak. No one forgets their first photo that they yeah, developed. Especially in the dark room. Yeah. And to me, it's like, it's, it's playing with time and space, like the physics of light and, and the position of things in the universe over time and space and light and time and space, you know, according to Einstein are all like this interconnected in this interconnected dance yep. with gravity and everything. And it's just photography is the only way that we get to like pause that flow. Like I, I think of it as like taking slices out of the river of time. Mm -hmm. And when we do that, we're allowed to, instead of having everything kind of rush by us, you, you kind of like can pull out a slide like on like, and look at it on almost under a microscope yeah. and look at the juxtapositions, look at the flow of things in almost infinite detail because you can just freeze it and slow it down. And before photography existed, the closest you could get to that was a painting, which took out days to make or out, you know, depending and on what you're doing. And it's very subjective. And it's very, yeah, and extremely subjective. And it's amazing how much imagery has changed the world. Um, and I think that every single day, I mean, every day there's more pictures taken than the day before. That's a fact. Yeah. And, uh, photography has been democratized in a way that the printing press did for literature back in the day. And I think the implications are even more profound as people become more visually literate and to be a photographer in that age where like everybody, like, you know, there's this kind of complaint amongst photographers sometimes like, Oh, like everyone thinks they're a photographer. I'm like, no, everyone is a photographer now. B bottom line. Yeah. And it's great. Bottom line. Because there's no superiority. Here. Yeah. And our, our, now our community is so much deeper. That's like, it's like going back to the time when the printing press was invented and being like, everyone's a reader now. Oh, 
everyone's a scribe yeah everyone can read <laughs> and it's just like to imagine the rich being, didn't like that yeah but like to imagine being mad at, at that access is just astounding to me so yeah. if you're listening and you're even curious i mean you're taking photos all the time even if you're not you don't consider yourself a photographer but i think you should consider yourself a photographer and you should lean in and just you know tell your story with it and i think it's a really it's a way to move through the world where you it's a game where like every day is this game of exploration and study and i even like even when i don't have my camera i'm, I'm taking pictures in my head it's, it's so fun have you read the book pitch uh photos not taken no it's basically a book of, of written stories from um a group of photographer like just kind of a hand-picked group of photographers and each one tells a story about a photograph that they didn't take whether there wasn't film in the camera battery was dead they didn't have it with them the film got messed up whatever it was each one of these stories is basically them recounting the moment that that could have been recorded on camera but it wasn't and you know to to i guess to pivot a little bit to to speak to what you were saying about everyone's a photographer it's not difficult to take a good looking photo mm. like bottom line I see a lot of amazing photo photographs. I see a lot of amazing photographers. It's it's not, and this is probably controversial to say, it's relatively easy to take a good photograph if you know composition, you know um, how to use your tool, you know lighting. And those are like, they're not like abstract concepts. Like you can learn these things pretty relatively easily. And that's why I think there's this element of like iPhone photography, right? Like mm. you and I, we use our iPhone to take photographs. And honestly, my iPhone photography, I love the shots that I get, but it's, I always like, sometimes it's on the fly, but I'll see it through this huge screen, this moment, and I'll see it through my, I'll see it in, in real life first. And I'll be like, man, let me, I see this right here. Let me see if I can get it. And sometimes it, for me, it, maybe I'm not good enough, but it doesn't translate. And I'm like, oh, it's like cool maybe it's not the moment but it's all it's also the synergy between you seeing it in real life and capturing it right like can you capture the moment that you're seeing in real life that's the skill that's the talent that's what takes years of developing it's sometimes you can hit it on the fly sometimes you can get it with 20 different tries but when you get to a point of shooting for as long as you know many photographers have it's almost a no-brainer. Like you can get that moment, you see it, you're like, oh yeah, this is this is it. I got it. Boom. And you don't even really think about it. Mm -hmm. And then and now there's like for me, going back to the question of like digital versus film, when I was shooting digital, it was like I was shooting 50 photos of the same thing. Hopefully one of them was gonna get that. Well, I was gonna get it. And like I would never look back at 50 photos of the same thing because I don't know what that moment was. It's hours later and I'm looking at it. With film, it's like, I either get it or I don't. Yeah. There's something really exciting. It's like, I just dropped off uh, six rolls of medium format from Paris. Nice. But, you know, I shot that a week ago. Mm -hmm. And I kind of forget most of what I shot. And then when it reveals itself, there is, a, there is like a sense of um, gratification that you just don't get with digital. There's nothing like getting film back, dude. Yeah. I'm that getting it feeling? back tomorrow, so tbd it's it's like it's like hanukkah or christmas every single day yeah you know i pushed i pushed the film and i just don't know if i like really did it right but 
but we'll that's see. the thing, dude. Yeah, yeah. Like we both of us, we put our eight hundred and thirty two hundreds through uh yeah through the X ray at TSA. We'll see what happens. <laughs> Like I've gotten roles. I was like, oh man, this is going to be so sick. Yeah. And I come back and it's like, this is garbage. Yeah. Same. That happened to me a lot too. And I'll be like, oh, this is a trash role. And I'll have like nine, 10, 11 photos where I'm like, I can't believe I got this. Yeah. What the fuck? Awesome. Um, Let's pivot a bit back. I just want to know, like, we're so early in this NFT game and crypto Very. art and space. And it's really exciting. And everyone's, everyone's kind of bubbling with anticipation and excitement and like we're so deep in it that it's like it's like hard to see where it's even going it's like we're so deep in the ship you can't see which direction it's pointed where do you see this community and this craft and this technology in like six months a year five years ten years the age-old question <laughs> fortune teller question i love it i ask it all the time and my favorite answer is uh i don't know and it would be foolish for me to say i do but that said we can always make predictions right so i think if we continue going down this road of being in club being in you know twitter spaces clubhouses these public audio forums and being around each other and we keep growing the way that we have so rapidly over the past few months, I think it's going to expedite the development of consumer facing UIs so that we can have user interfaces and, and applications because right now, honestly, dude, like it, it works for us because we've been in it for a while and we've learned the workarounds, but onboarding people into this, into this, into this space, into this like technology is not easy. And it seems easy for like, you know, many of us because we're like, we're been doing it for so long, but it's not going to be until all of us realize what we actually need and keep pushing, keep pushing the platforms, keep pushing the companies, keep pushing the applications. Like, to what will make it easier. I feel like if we continue going down this road of community and camaraderie and, and discussion and open discussion, free discussion, free criticism, because not everybody's doing it right. And we need to be able to feel comfortable to call people out, maybe not negatively, but when somebody's doing maybe something not the right way, like it has to be a conversation. Mm -hmm. And so if we continue going down this road, I've seen it be very productive as of late since for the past few months, if we can continue going down this road, it's going to be everybody in the world using it. And I think that's going to happen a lot sooner than we think. Yeah. I think one of the biggest barriers to entry might not even be a technology problem. Yes. And I think soon that that will be almost negligible. Um, I think that like, I'm a big fan of the idea of like the Ethereum login so that like, like when you log into a site, like it's your wallet. I think that's a really compelling idea. And I think that will come eventually. So I think eventually everybody will have some sort of wallet and some sort of like blockchain identity because it's just more secure and more, you know, immutable and cannot be like forged Verifiable. or faked. Yeah. And you can yeah. like, what is it like a digital signature now is like kind of bullshit. 
of without, course. without blockchain, like Adobe Sign. I was going to say, yeah, Adobe Sign, it's I like, can press that. It's like, I you literally like do a fake signature and it's like, okay, whatever. It's like, Sick. it's like, just doesn't make sense. But no. signing something with your wallet is like a real secure signature. So I think that's going to win because it's just a better system. But I think the problem that I'm seeing with my friends that are that kind of like bounced off the space is community based. Like they don't have the time, energy or wherewithal to like break into this hyper fast, technologically minded, like you're trying to jump on a moving train. Yeah. You're trying to jump on a moving train and everyone on the train is like busy talking to each other and like they're not, they're to not help helping you, you like exactly so i think that we need to focus on a like social onboarding and, i think like doing events and like literally bringing things from the real world yeah and like orientation sessions for people that are interested but have no maybe that like there's even people like i feel like social media is a great on-ramp like most of the people that are in and succeeding in nft and crypto art are people that thrived on web too because they understood community building yeah. and interconnected networks and network effect and the power of um compounding networks where like every connection that you make leads to other connections and the more connections you have the more you gain and this kind of snowball effect and we were trained to kind of optimize for that and then so when web3 came along and we you know got past that first hurdle of like what is what is this what is a wallet what is ethereum what, what am i doing here once you get past that like all the mechanics of like community building are the same so people that weren't immersed in social media i think they need a lot more help to understand the um how to thrive here and then the power that is unlocked if you can thrive here so maybe we can you and i can think about um the best way to uh, make this more accessible for people, because I, f I don't want it to turn into another like influencer culture, you know, kind of uh, well, soapbox bullshit, like fake positivity, like, you know, social media space. I think it's it has power to be so much more than that. And I think it requires us to be stewards in a way that maybe we need to step up. You came from the age of the, the dawning of the influencer. With yes, Instagram. for sure. And with Web 2, there was this phenomenon of a whole community would look to one person mm -hmm. to like literally influence them on their decisions, what they would buy, all this stuff, how they would make their art. And I guess my question to you, you know, as we preface this conversation, why do you think all of these people who were at the height of their influence are now flopping tremendously in Web 3? It's a, it's a hot take, but it's an observational fact. I think that, I mean, this goes back to my philosophy on digital spaces in general, which is like literally, I only want to have a platform if I can point it at other people and elevate other people because I don't have a platform without those other people. Facts. And technology unlocks an infinite amount of space. You know, we're not competing all for to get in one magazine anymore. We're not competing to be in one gallery in Chelsea. I don't give a shit, frankly. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah, I don't. Um, those are legacy systems that I'm not interested in. Yep. Um, so I think that if you can recognize, I think the key here is like many sums. Like we're in a many sum game, which means that like my success does not 
come at your expense. My success is a signal to you that you can succeed too. Because every day there's more people interested in this and like every screen is an infinitely refreshing portal into a digital universe that is constantly expanding. And, you know, a piece of paper or a print or the side of a, you know, a billboard or the side of a bus um, or anything that's still tactile, like paper based is, you know, that's a finite space. But as those get replaced with screens, I mean, most billboards are becoming screens. All the subway ads are becoming screens. These are infinite spaces. One mm-hmm. screen is infinite. Yep. And when like we are very close to a world where we even leave screens behind and it's like kind of this overlay on reality in augmented reality with like, you know, whether it's contact lenses or glasses or however we end up getting there, we will get there and we'll look back at screens. Like we look at newspapers, you know, it's rare to see somebody looking at a newspaper. They're reading it on their phone. And I think that like, we need to be able to step outside of our own time and realize that like we are on an evolutionary path that is inevitable. And I think that what it does is it unlocks limitless potential for creative communities to thrive. And like, there's just no sense in competing. So a very roundabout answer to your question, the people who can't thrive in these new spaces are the people that are, are navel gazing and are too focused on themselves. And they're used to competing in attention economies where they literally are fighting for other people's attention. And if they, if somebody else is getting that attention more than them, they are bitter and frustrated and they don't realize that the best way to build a long-term sustained audience and um, community for yourself is to make sure that that community is thriving as well. And in there lies the answer of the initial question of how do we onboard people? Well, I don't think we need lighthouses and and signal repeaters in this community because if we spend more time focusing on how to amplify others than how to amplify ourselves in turn we all amplify each other because if you spend your time amplifying five people chances are maybe one of those people will just turn around and not and not contribute back to the community right it's kind of like it's not you know it's kind of like a i'm not even gonna it's kind of like communism in some way but I, that's a whole politic thing i'm not even gonna go there but it, it's 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 back to this idea of the village it's literally back to the idea of a kibbutz of like yeah. this village where everybody's just trying to build together and right. so how do we onboard more people how do we make it so that it's easier for brand new green people to get on a level that is competitive has the competitive edge that the rest of us do. I think you need those systems that are like orienting Mm. that are, um, direction pointing. Like when you start out as a college student, you have the first, you have your syllabi in the fur before you even start class, you understand what you're getting into. So you can, if you can prepare ahead, if you want to, you have orientation, you have um, tour guides before you even go to the go to class. Um, and by the time you're in your first class, you feel like you have this sense of even though you're not a senior, even though you're not ready to graduate, you're like you're on the train. And now it's your now it's time to start conversations with people. If we can bring people on those moving trains, 
And there are select few people or systems that exist to pull people onto that moving train. Nobody else needs to stop what they're doing. Right. To, to on that train to keep it moving. Yeah. And I think one of the keys to doing this is to take it a bit more into reality as the world kind of opens up. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, for example, tomorrow night, I'm doing like a all ships happy hour at Amazing. one of my favorite bars. And a lot of the people coming aren't into NFTs at all. But half the people coming are super into NFTs. Yes, dude. And like if they can see how ambush them. Yeah. Well, it's like <laughs> if they can see how much fun, you know, this is and, and how cool the people in this space are and how interested and like helpful people are. I think that's a lot easier than like just throwing them into some like Twitter, you know, hurricane. come to those Twitter spaces. We're talking about uh, decentralized sharding and yeah. fractionalization of nfts we're Nobody talking about uh, which cartoon cat is worth three hundred and fifty thousand dollars <laughs> it's just i don't think that that's approachable i yeah, think that that's like not. honestly turns people off mm-hmm. and so i think what we do is like we make it a real cultural movement and i think the best part about um uh, nfts and colborne bell said this of museum of crypto he said that legend legend first of all um i hope to get him on the podcast soon um absolutely colborne we want you yes he said that nfts are a hack to bring the most creative people in the world onto blockchain technologies <laughs> and i was like damn I, that hits that hits because i That's do think that statement. what's happened in the past year with nfts is some of the best digital artists in the world are now crypto native yeah some of the best artists yeah. not even digital artists yeah. some of the best the world's most famous artists, a, a new world's famous top three artists just became, was just created. Yeah. Because of this. Yeah. Like we're seeding this technology out through art. And if you asked me if I could have predicted that it would be art that brought crypto to mainstream, I would have said maybe, but I, with no, no, no certainty, conviction. <laughs> no conviction whatsoever. And now that I see it, even still, I'm like, every day, I don't believe it. Mm. The fact that creativity and energy and and vibes were literally <laughs> <Vibes>. what brought <laughs> vibes, literally brought crypto to closer to mainstream than it had ever been before. It's wild. Yeah. I mean, that's also art is where big money is. Yeah. And otherwise, big money lives in traditional finance where... They wouldn't touch this shit with a 10 foot pole. Well, it's interesting if you think about like the, the original art markets, like art was what brought culture to finance. And like, yep. like, you know, I don't think the people that running hedge funds are like the creative types. They're not the ones picking out the art. Right. Well, no, that's what I'm saying is like, yeah. but there's a cultural layer to that community, mm-hmm. which is, you know, um, their philanthropy of like, you know, you could say opera museums and and different artists and traditional art markets. And I think that in the same way that uh, cryptocurrencies are like a parallel economy uh, and and kind of a a rejection of traditional finance, um, I think that crypto art is that same rejection of traditional art worlds. And I'm excited and it's a great time to get involved. And if you want to get involved, Visit us at allships.co. Swipe up now. Yeah. Swipe up. Swipe, Swipe right. right. Oh, <laughs> of course. Oh. Well, uh, Nathan, this has been a pleasure. I think we should kind of wind it down. I do want to give you an opportunity. Where can people find you online? Like, where are you active? What are your handles? 
Um, are you open to people messaging you? Do you want to talk to people? What, what can we do for you? I feel like every time I, I give my information out to say, hit me up. I'm very, first of all, I'm very open to talk to you, but I want to do like those codes where it's like, if you heard me on this, say, yeah. <laughs> say, uh, bazooka Joe, <laughs> if you heard me on this all ships podcast, DM me bazooka Joe, and we'll get right into conversation. Wow. I like um, that access. NFTs is access. NFTs is access. Exactly. By the way, so quick to go last thing. Once the world realizes that NFTs and ERC 721s are more than just art and it could be the deed to a house. It could be the pink slip to your car. It could theoretically be your passport. Gangbusters, dude. Yeah. Gangbusters. I agree. But yes, I am. uh, I have managed to get beer candid on everything. Yes. So I'm beer candid on literally everything. Say Bazooka Joe right in that DM. All my DMs are open and we'll get chatting. That's that's your uh that's your ticket to the train. That's the ticket to the train. I will help you. I spend so much of my time helping people on like just onboard in so many different ways. I yeah. I try my best to at least. Yeah. Well, listen, it's been such a pleasure getting to know you in real life. <sighs> We've had quite a week. It's been a journey. We've been in various countries. <laughs> after just meeting in, on the streets of Paris. Um, and it's so great to have you here in my jungle, my Jumanji space. Oh, it's beautiful. Here. Um, I feel like this plant's eyeing me. I might not survive. Uh, why, don't you and I, why don't you and I go get a nice dinner? Yes. Let's talk a little more off yes. the mics. And um, to everyone listening, thank you for listening. Shout out to you. Shout out to you. Nathan Beer. And <laughs> shout, out to, <laughs> shout out to Super Rare for everything you guys are doing and um you're really changing the world for artists so uh absolutely love it and uh to the listeners we'll see you next time and another reminder to watch fantastic fungi by paul Stanley. and read uh photos not taken pictures not taken i yeah. forget exactly photos not taken cool all right bye bye thank you so much for tuning into another transmission of the all ships podcast One of the best things to come from the world of NFTs is the reshuffling of creative communities I'm in and the opportunity to make new friends like Mr. Nathan Beer. As noted in the conversation, we are so early to something so powerful and I can't wait for the day when I can look back on this conversation with deeper perspective and see how much further we have come. Huge thanks to Nathan for all he does for our community. Big thanks to the Super Rare team for everything they do to elevate artists and to help us make the work we love. Thank you to the masterful musician Ollie Channon for our theme music. You can find him on all streaming services and at ollichannon.com. Find all things All Ships at allships.co. I'm Dave Krugman, and until next time, keep your creativity flowing. A Shishkin Productions podcast.